Great. Thank you, Sue. Let's keep that open, shall we, and pray as we look at God's Word this morning. Father, thank you for the gospel, the good news, the message that you've given us to pass on, and you've given us through your disciples, through Matthew, particularly this morning. May we have your Spirit's help to understand and to put into practice your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, read the Gospels through quickly, and you could be excused for drawing a really thick line between Jesus, God's Son, and his followers, his disciples. That's us today. Uh, And, you know, you'd be right in a way to do that because he is, after all, the divine Son of God, and we are not. We're simply his followers. Um, But there's quite a big discussion going on in the national church at the moment about what we mean by disciples and discipleship, following Jesus. How do we help each other to learn how to follow Jesus more? It's a, it's a great question. Uh, and if we have too much of a thick line between Jesus and we who follow him, that actually will make it difficult, won't it, for us to do that because you need to identify with the master you follow. You need to be close enough to him to be able to watch what he's doing. Now, I think people sometimes think that Jesus gave us no help with this, this idea of how we follow Jesus, how we make disciples. Uh, As if he came to earth and died and rose and went back to heaven and then suddenly thought, oh, goodness me, I better have a plan. I'll send the church. I'll send the disciples to do it. But actually, he is teaching, training the disciples all the way through his ministry, and especially Matthew's Gospel makes this really clear. There are five sections of discipleship training in Matthew's Gospel. This is number two of them here in chapter 10. He's training us, teaching us here. First of all, of course, it's the 12 disciples, but to a large extent, we can uh, relate very much today to what he said to them back then. So here we are, chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, if you've been here the last few weeks, Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, that he's God's king come to bring people back to God, and he's been demonstrating that restoring, that healing work through the healings and the uh, freedom from sickness and evil that he's been enacting in his miracles. That's chapters 8 and 9. And then in chapter 10, he's going to be giving this teaching on what it means to be a follower of his, to share in his work, we might say. So we're going to look this morning at what is Jesus' work, why does he do it, why should we join with it, and also, if you're taking on any job, ask the question, what's the kind of pen conditions like? What's it going to be like to do this work? So I've got, let's say, those really three chunks this reading breaks down into. It is sort of part one because next week we'll continue the rest of this chapter from verse 24 uh, with yet more lessons on being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple. What's following Jesus look like? Here's my first one, that passage that we began looking at a little earlier, chapter 9, 35 to 38. And the idea here is that Jesus' work is driven by his compassion. Verse 35, if you look down at that, Jesus is teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. That's his work, 
bringing the good news of God's kingdom and all that that means for people who need God. Uh, forgiveness of sins, burdens lifted, people restored. And he's doing it in this area of Galilee. Now, again, we need a geographer to help us with, with where Galilee was, but it's an area north of Jerusalem in what in Jesus' day was Israel. Quite a big area, the size of Norfolk, that kind of area. Over 200 towns and cities, one historian tells us. Uh, and here was Jesus from Capernaum to Nazareth and from Bethsaida to Caesarea Philippi, across this huge area. It's rather like going from Kings Lynn to Great Yarmouth, um, from Bungie to Cromer, and all of Norwich in the middle there. And even if Jesus had done two of these towns a day, it would have taken him three or four months to get around them all, even at that pace. And he looks at the scale of this task, and he sees, Matthew says in verse 36, the people, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The words there could be translated, harassed, helpless, cast down and cast aside. Of course, Jesus is referring there to the everyday trials that many of us here this morning are probably facing at the moment. Difficult bosses, um, demanding landlords, um, the, <laughs> the confusion of our politics. But he's also grieved here by the lack of godly shepherds. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They don't have leaders leading them to the help that God can give them. They're harassed, helpless without shepherds. The reference Jesus is making there is almost certainly to Ezekiel, to chapter 34. Uh, So again, if you're taking notes, Ezekiel 34, have a look. If you'd like to turn back with me, it's page 865. We'll have a very quick look there. But if you're taking notes, just jot this down and have more of a look later. Ezekiel 34, page 865. And he's talking here, God is talking through the prophet Ezekiel to the leaders of Israel who should have been leading them towards God's mercy and help. And he says in verse 4, Ezekiel 34 verse 4, to the leaders, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You see that all the things Jesus is doing, they had not been doing. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. They're harassed and helpless, or they are cast aside and cast down. They are bruised and battered by the leaders, not just by life. Then verse 12, God will step in. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, verse 12, when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places they were scattered. So here is Jesus. If you come back with me now to Matthew 9, uh, back on page 975, Matthew 9:36, Jesus sees the crowds, harassed, helpless, bruised, battered, like sheep without those shepherds. All the things the leaders of Israel should have done, they haven't done. Instead of helping, they've weighed people down with burdens and battered them with guilt. And Jesus is feeling compassion. He looks at them, and he has compassion on them. 
Again, it's a strong word. We might say today, his guts ache for them. He's he's wounded, he grieves for them. Uh, And as we're going to see, he doesn't just feel for them, he does something too. His compassion drives him to the work he does, to be the shepherd that they need. So in verse 37, uh, how does he respond? What does he do? Well, he sees them not just as sheep, but as a harvest field. Change of picture. The harvest is plentiful, he says. People are hungry for God. They are ripe to hear the good news. But the workers are few. The problem's not a lack of, this is still true today, not a lack of interest in God, in help for life. It's a lack of workers, He calls for co-workers because of his compassion. Co-workers will be sent by God. The great Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle said this, Bishops can ordain, churches can appoint, but only God can send workers into the harvest field. That's why Jesus says, you therefore need to pray, verse 38. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers, divinely sent co-workers for Jesus. Now, you and I, tomorrow, we'll be walking down the street, we'll pass people by, uh, and perhaps sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll get in the way, they'll want our attention when we're busy. So easy, isn't it, not to see people as Jesus sees them, as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. To see them as awkward or obstructive when actually they're harassed and helpless. Now, we... we we often meet people kind of outside the church. I met a young guy called Lee last summer who um, was looking harassed and helpless, lying there um, under the influence of various drugs. And so easy to walk by someone like that, isn't it? And just think, what an annoyance uh, trying to take my day up and interrupt my schedule rather than as someone that's a sheep needing a shepherd, needing Jesus. We've got nearly 20,000 students around us in Norwich. Uh, that is a huge harvest field, isn't it, of people hungry to hear about God. We've got schools in our parish and close by, young people, colleagues at the water cooler tomorrow morning. And it could even be this morning that you are harassed and helpless. And how wonderful, isn't it, that we have a shepherd. We can point each other to the shepherd who's come for people like you and me to bring help when we're battered and bruised, compassion when we're unloved and cast aside and forgiveness when we're burdened by guilt. So will you pray? That's the big thing, isn't it, in this first idea. Jesus says the big thing is to pray. Okay, go and do something, but don't do anything without praying first. Don't do nothing, but do nothing without praying. Pray for workers to reach the adults, the children of this city. Pray for mission partners to reach parts of the world where no one tells people about Jesus. Second section here, verses 1 to 10 of chapter 10, Jesus' work is shared with co-workers. Isn't that interesting? He chooses straight away, or he appoints these 12 men. Uh, There are, by the way, women in the, the very closely wider circle of Jesus too, but it's quite a bunch, this set of co-workers he chooses. It's not a kind of premiership, multi-million pound football team, the elite, is it? Very ordinary people, these are. Uh, brothers from the fishing industry, 
tax collectors, those who collaborated with the Romans, and even someone who's called a zealot, probably someone that hated the Romans, and they're right on the same team here. Fascinating, ordinary followers that he makes co-workers, and of course, that's potentially you and me today. I wonder if you see the almost mirror image language used between Jesus' work, what he is doing, as we saw in chapter 9, verse 35, and their work in chapter 10, verse 7. Almost the same work. To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. Almost the same words. The message. Go and proclaim, he says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the same word for word as Jesus was proclaiming back in chapter 4, verse 17. So, same work shared with Jesus, same words as Jesus preaches. And okay, there are some unique things here about the apostles. Now, these particular 12, verses 5 and 6, they're told not to go among the Gentiles, rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And that's a, a time-restricted ministry during the ministry of Jesus. It widens, of course, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, go to all nations, he then says. They are also apostles with unique authority. They, they seem not to have uh, simply shared this same authority with the later Christians in the book of Acts and today. They have a unique authority as apostles of the words of Jesus. But he shares his work, that's the thing here, with co-workers, with us by extension today, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven has come near, demonstrating that in Christ's acts of mercy. He sums it up in verse 8, second half. Freely you've received, freely give. Don't start charging people for Jesus. He came free to you. Make him free to others. So the question for us this morning is, maybe you feel this morning a little disappointed. You, you follow Christ, but somehow you feel on the edge of what God's doing, of God's kingdom work, maybe here in the church. No one's recognized your heart for Christ or your gifts. Well, be encouraged this morning. What a privilege that King Jesus involves us all, whoever we are, in his work. And that doesn't just mean by helping on a Sunday. Actually, as we've been hearing, it's about where we are tomorrow co-workers out there in his world. Maybe some of us feel more comfortable with doing things for Jesus than speaking the message about Jesus. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because Jesus is telling us here, his work means both. Not just acts of kindness and mercy, but words of the kingdom. Speak Christ and I guess for us today, that might mean, as Mike's been saying, a chance to explain what being a Christian means for you, and who Christ really is. It might be simply having a gospel to give to someone, to say, this, is, this book's changed my life, it may change yours. It's the historical book of Jesus. Why not read it? We could get together and talk about what you make of it, if you like. Invite someone to the prom praise in a few weeks, where the message of Jesus will be shared. Isn't that the idea here? If we have family and friends that we're praying for to 
uh, find Christ. We are praying, aren't we? Not simply that we can tell them about the fringe benefits of coming to church, which is a softer thing to tell someone, isn't it? We are praying that we will be able to show them Jesus' beauty, Jesus' compassion, Jesus' goodness, Jesus' mercy. That's the kingdom of heaven. Driven by compassion, shared with co-workers. Here's the third point this morning, the last chunk that we're going to look at. From verses 11 to 23, this work demands courage as well as discretion. This passage becomes quite challenging, doesn't it? Verse 11 uh, is not so difficult. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their home until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your blessing. When you leave it, give it your blessing. You'd expect from the context that people would welcome Jesus' followers because he spent the last two chapters doing wonderful acts of mercy and preaching God's grace and forgiveness and welcome of sinners. Uh, And so there will be people that will welcome these disciples. Receptive, or he calls them worthy people. He says, stay with them. Teach them about me. Because people who are receptive to you are actually being receptive to me. People that you bless with words from God, I am blessing through you. And I have to say, that that's often been carrying my experience since we moved to Norwich a couple of years ago, uh, of the, the social groups we've joined in with and the contacts we've made through Matthew's school, uh, that people are very welcoming towards the fact that we're Christians I'm very open to talking about Christ, about faith. Look for worthy people, Jesus says. But actually then says, be realistic. You're going to need some courage here as well. Not everyone will want to listen. Verse 14, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home and town, shake the dust off your feet. That was probably a symbolic way of enacting God's judgment on a place. He said, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. He's reminding us that human beings by nature don't welcome the words of Jesus. We prefer, don't we, our independence from God, our slavery to sin, as the Bible calls it, to freedom in his kingdom. It's tragic, but it's true. We reject God's love, and Jesus is warning that if we do that, we then remain under God's judgment. Graphic image in verse 15, he switches to, I will, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. He doesn't equip us with body armor. John Calvin says, He does not provide them with weapons to use in self-defense, but exposes them to the fangs of the wolves, naked and unarmed. We go in faith, but we will need courage. Think of a young student who's got atheist parents uh, who do nothing but pour scorn on his faith and discourage him from taking part in church activities. A refugee who came to this country for whom his family from another faith held a funeral back home when he converted to Christ. Changes image again in verse 16. But a similar message in a way. Jesus says, Therefore be as shrewd as serpents, 
and as innocent as doves. Let's just think about that contrast. Shrewd as serpents, snakes are great at slithering away quietly when danger comes. They hear you coming. Jesus is telling us to use discretion when it's the, as we say, the better part of valor, the wise part of valor. But then doves, well, they innocently just kind of strut about, don't they? They don't really think about where they're going next. They just get on with it and go looking for food. He's telling us, yes, show discretion, but be bold, be courageous. Don't think too carefully who you speak to about the gospel. Uh, I haven't got time to look at the, the next little section, 16 to 23, but in a nutshell there, Jesus is saying, this mission of you 12 to Galilee, be courageous and show discretion. But that's going to become a, a little prototype of the later mission of all of us as Christians. He seems to be expanding here to talk about when he's returned to heaven and sent the Spirit at Pentecost and the church take the gospel to Galilee, to the known world. And then not only Jewish rulers, but he then speaks of Gentile rulers, Roman governors, Roman barristers will put you on trial. But the Spirit will give you words to say. He says this, this job will go on. Uh, you won't finish living in this, this dangerous but critical mission until the Son of Man comes. But where does that leave us today? Well, if Jesus' work demands courage as well as discretion, here's a question. Are you afraid of what others might do or say to you if you speak to them of Christ? I am. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We'll see this next week. The Spirit will help you. The shepherd will protect you. Are you wavering between courage and discretion? It's a bit of a tension, isn't it, that one? A bit of a fine call, but I suspect in our culture today in the West, though we're not overtly persecuted in this country, mercifully, I suspect we do still tend to err on the side of discretion, of not speaking when actually the Lord Jesus is prompting us to. We need to ask for more boldness, for more courage. Why not invite someone to that light party if you know some uh, families with children that age. Invite them to the Discover course next term. Offer to read the gospel with them. Just see how God uses that courage. And it could be that you and I were moving into a new place, a new job. It's great wisdom from Jesus here, isn't there, as well as I finish. Because he says, when you go into a town, look for the worthy people. He doesn't mean, as we're thinking, that the worthies of Norwich, the the powerful people and the, uh, the wealthy. He means look for people who will be receptive to you because they're receptive to me. So pray who you'll see at work tomorrow, at the school gate this week. Pray for those connections with worthy people, the worthies who are receptive to Jesus. Get alongside them, spend time with them. Um, don't necessarily move in with them, as Jesus says here. Don't camp in their living without their permission. Get alongside them and see how he uses you. Final thoughts here. Just a kind of overview thought of where we are as Christians. As disciples of Jesus, followers, we're in the middle of this picture, aren't we? We are on one hand in the world, 
We're in a day job, a school, a community tomorrow. We're at uni. We're also, though, as followers of Jesus, in the left-hand circle, the kingdom of heaven. And we sit in that exciting, intense, potentially dangerous intersection in the middle there as disciples, in the world, in the kingdom. That's where we are. We have no choice if we follow Christ. And it's as much in that intersection about the words we speak, that's what Jesus is saying, as about the thoughts we think. That is what a disciple is. It's both. It's courage and discretion. It's proclaiming the kingdom till he comes, knowing that he is the shepherd people need, not me. He is the one gathering the lost to himself, healing the sick and bruised, and yet he's included you and me as co-workers of the King of Kings. Let's pray. So we pray, Lord, today for someone perhaps sitting near us who is one of those bruised and battered, harassed and helpless. May you be the good shepherd. Thank you for your compassion and your grace and your goodness and your mercy. And we offer you ourselves, uh, those of us here that already follow you, as we ask you to forgive our timidity, we ask you to use us as your co-workers, wonderfully included in your work. As it says on our service sheet, as we go in your name, let angels sing for sinners repenting, prodigals restored, backsliders reclaimed, Satan's captives released, blind eyes opened, broken hearts bound up, the despondent cheered, the self-righteous humbled, the ignorant enlightened and saints build up in their faith through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.